0: Welcome to The Human Reboot with me Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your human reboot. Before we start this episode, it may contain conversations that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel that might apply to you, you can check the show notes for more details. Welcome to the Human Reboot. Today, my guest is Rachel Allen. Rachel is a business coach, qualified accountant and business owner herself, and she is on a mission to help female entrepreneurs to understand and speak the language of money fluently. Her unique combination of coaching, teaching and mentoring helps her clients to get on top of their accounts, to address those mind monkeys that can really, really hold them back and prepares them to grow their business up to and way beyond the VAT threshold. Welcome, Rachel. Hi. Rachel, please, would you tell us a little bit more about you?
1: Hi, I'm Rachel Allen. As you said, I'm a business coach uh, and accountant. I live in sunny Norfolk. Uh, I'm here with my husband and two lovely children. And I run a manufacturing business as well. So I've kind of got two hats work-wise. So I'm fairly busy, as you can well imagine, with uh, children and two businesses uh, to, to look after. Brilliant. So you've come on to
0: the Human Reboot to tell maybe one or two of your reboot stories. Um, Please, would you start by sharing one of your reboots?
1: Well, when I heard that you were doing this podcast, first of all, I thought, oh, my God, this is what I need. Um, Because right at the moment, following on from last year, And on all the COVID fun and games, uh, my manufacturing business just went, literally stopped overnight. And it's now got quite busy. So I've I've been thinking, oh, I need to listen to this podcast. And I have been listening to it and loving it. But it occurred to me that actually one of my biggest reboot stories has nothing to do with work at all. Um, It was back in 2005. I said to you just then, I've got two lovely children. But actually, whenever I say that, I feel a little bit guilty because I actually have three children. Um, My first little girl was stillborn. She was born in December 2005. um, And she actually died about five days before she was born. So we went through a really traumatic period where we were in hospital for ages. Nobody knew what was going to be happening. Um, And then, you know, we had, I had my daughter and we didn't get to take her home from the hospital. It was just that. Weird thing of going through the whole birth and then walking home with no one, and you know I, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've gone on and I've had two what we call rainbow children. That's the the bright rainbow that comes after the clouds, and it, the, the time that was a time in my life that was, as you can imagine, really awful. And I thought it was going to break me, quite honestly, when I went into the delivery suite from having been told that she'd gone and talking to the the consultant. I I had had depression in the past. Um, I'd had a really rough job experience, um, which included a bit of bullying and stuff like that. And I got very low and had required antidepressants to come through that. And I got through it and, you know, that's a whole different reboot conversation for you. And so I honestly thought I was going to get broken by this. I thought, here we go. You know, if anyone's a classic setup for postnatal depression, that's me. But actually... I really surprised myself with how compassionate I was with myself and my husband, and he was with me. And we got through it. And if I could look back on my life and say, what is the proudest thing you've done other than my children? It was getting through that period in my life. And it completely rebooted how I think about so many things, uh, how I think, how I feel about my body. Because I hated it. I'm a very typical woman. Um, I was overweight and uh, hated everything about myself—what I looked like, what I sounded like, how I jiggled, the works. And it was—it was such a shock. It was such a change. You know, my life literally changed in 24 hours. And I think you know it took us a while to come back from it, as you can imagine. But the process of coming back from it completely rebooted how I think about life how I think about me my husband the world basically and I just thought that would be something that would be nice to share um, and it might help somebody Uh, hence I'm talking to you.
0: Thank you so much for sharing it with me and with our listeners I know when we had the conversation about what you might want to talk about it was it's something that it goes, you know, when you're pregnant and you're going through that whole process, certainly me having twins, I didn't kind of get that excited, if that makes sense, because really early on in the twin process, they took you to look around the intensive care unit to show you what could happen because so many twins are born early. And it absolutely frightened me. You know, it, it, it scared me so much. I suppose it's just trying to prepare you for what could happen or, you know, and what happens to a lot of twin parents, well, and other parents. Kind of in my head, it was more that, would it actually happen? But when you have one baby compared to kind of my my second pregnancy, where I was having one baby compared to the two, you kind of, you don't get the same level of checks that you get when you've got twins.
1: Mm. I remember being quite anxious throughout the pregnancy and I don't know why. Um, and I remember my mum saying, oh, you never quite settled into this pregnancy, did you? You were always worried that something was going to go wrong. And I said to her, yeah, but if I, if it had all gone right, we'd have just laughed about me. You know, so I don't feel that I had a premonition or anything silly like that. I was just a bit of a wuss and, and, and worrying. But yeah, there is, nobody talks about it. And my sister-in-law was actually really so upset and so angry. She said, they don't tell you this can happen. And we thought about it. It was only when people got pregnant around me afterwards. Nobody can really bear to burst that pregnancy bubble for people. And actually, do you know what? If you're lucky enough to have a completely smooth pregnancy and a baby at the end, why should you have your bubble burst? Why not enjoy your pregnancy? Um, And so that's why when I talk about it, I don't talk about it specifically to someone who's pregnant. You know, I'm not going to burst their bubble, but I do feel that we need to talk about it because it's, it's something that people don't think about. And I remember she stopped moving. Um, It was the day before I went into hospital and she just went very, very quiet and I was anxious all day. Um, But she did a big wriggle at bedtime and I thought, Oh, that's all right. She's fine. And that was the last I ever felt her move. And, The next day, it just got, my anxiety just went up and up and up. And eventually I I called, it took me ages because I called the the midwife who told me to go to delivery suite, called delivery suite, who passed me on to someone else. And by that point, I ran out of courage. And I actually rang a friend who was a nurse and she came around and and helped me out. But through all of this, at no point, I was upset because I knew something was wrong. But at no point did I actually think through what that meant. So, you know, when I found out she died, it, it was such a shock. You know, we were, as I say, we were 39 weeks plus four and she died. And so you think you're, you're home and dry, aren't you? Everyone worries up to 24 weeks. Are we going to get past 24 weeks? And then you're like, well, if I can get to 32, you know, once you're at 32, most of them survive. And you get to 39, it's just like, I mean, even the GP that I went to see, I went to see a friend of ours um he was a GP and he he said he'd have a quick look at me at lunchtime just to try and settle my nerves and even he said the chances of something going wrong are so slim Mm. but bless his heart he knew yeah he was just keeping me together to get to hospital so you don't think about it and I just I feel that we need we do need to talk about it generally specifically once you've got somebody there with a baby that they're pregnant let them enjoy it
0: yeah
1: but just generally as, as a nation, because it's like when you have a miscarriage, you suddenly find all these people have had miscarriages. Yeah. And it's, why don't we talk about it? Because it's, it's not something embarrassing and scary. It's just horrible. And I think that's probably what it is. It's so horrible. And even now, I mean, let's say Amy would have been 16 this year. And even now, people, if I say to people, that I lost a baby, they're so, they don't know what to say to me. Yeah. They don't know what to do. Yeah, And I get to the point going. I'm totally cool with it now. And I I made my peace with it on the day that I got pregnant with my second child. Because up to that point, I said, I would have given anything to have her back up to the point that I got pregnant again. Because at that point, I knew that this child would not exist if I hadn't lost the first one. So I made the conscious, conscious decision to want my second child. Because I do. I love them to pieces. And my third one, the next one. Um, and I know that I wouldn't have had them if I hadn't lost her. So, you know, I'm quite happy to, to take that and, and run with it as a meaning. You know, I don't believe she she died for a reason, but I'm happy to take this as a meaning. Yeah. But, you know, I just I just felt we we need to talk about it and just to to be aware that these things can happen. And if if somebody tells you that they've lost a baby, don't be afraid to talk to them about it. Um, I remember reading somewhere, someone said, um, talking to someone about their lost child doesn't remind them that they lost a child. They know that anyway. Yeah. Talking about it reminds them that you remember. Sorry, choked up with that bit. So knowing that you remember, that you know that, you know, I've got several friends and several family here at the beginning of December, well, just check in with me. Yeah. Are you all right? And actually, a a dear friend of mine, she lost her son much, much older. He was in his early 20s, I think. But she said to me, she said, I'm just having a Richard day today. And I thought, what a lovely description. It was just, today's a day where I'm not coping. Yeah. And you're allowed to have those. And, you know, I'm lucky. I don't tend to have Amy days, but I'll have an Amy moment. Yeah. And that's totally allowed. And I think the, the biggest learning I had through this whole experience was be gentle with yourself. Yeah. It was just the best advice that anyone gave to me. And I give it out to everybody for any reason. And it's so true because we're so compassionate to others and we're not compassionate to ourselves. And I think that, that was, the, that was I think, the thing I was most proud of was being really gentle with myself and with my husband, because sadly, a lot of couples don't make it through. Losing a child, you know, a, a, a born baby, if you like, the, the breakup rate of couples after that is really quite high. Um, and, you know, I do know of a lot of people who who suffered stillbirth and then went on to break up. And it is so hard. And I think a lot of it is that you can't forgive the other person for grieving in a different way. And everybody grieves Completely differently um, and I grieve by talking I talk incessantly as you've probably noticed on this. <laughs> and my husband and I we, we came it was totally undiscussed we didn't agree it openly but we just did it that he would turn to me and go you need to talk to someone else now I'm done I've, I've had enough now I need to be quiet and so I'd just go away and I'd phone my mum or my sister um, okay. or I'd shut up occasionally I can do it but I forgave him for needing that space and he forgave me for needing to talk and we just came to this agreement that we would do it differently and that was a huge learning for us that actually people are different and just because you're married to each other and have been married to each other for a very long time and we'd been together 15 odd years by that point you know you learn new things about each other But one of the the reboot side of this was this newfound respect I got for my body. Yeah. As I said, I was a very typical female in that I didn't look right. You know, I'm a little bit short and I'm extremely curvy and I didn't embrace that at all. But afterwards, I just kept looking at this body and going, this body grew without me doing anything, grew a person. Mm and." The one thing I was proud of was that I was still in awe of my body, even though I didn't quite make it to the end. I didn't quite succeed in growing a person who's actually stood there in front of me. But, you know, everyone was saying the fact I got that far meant that very good chances I would. And I don't, you know, this, I was so in awe of this body, even though when I laughed, it jiggled in ways that I'd never known before. And in fact, that made, I can just, I can clearly remember lying on the bed couple of days after she'd been born and we giggled about something, something stupid. And my stomach started to go like a jelly. I don't know if you remember, he probably had it worse with twins. <laughs> that jelly belly thing went just after you've had a baby. And it made me laugh even more. And so I was laughing at this jelly belly and then that was making me laugh. More. And we ended up in complete hysterics. And I just thought, this is the person I want to be, someone who, loves my body and enjoys it, even though it's wobbling like a plate of jelly, quite literally at the moment. And, you know, when I then went on to have two more children and I fed them, you know, breastfeeding was not easy for me with the first one, but I did it. And with the second one, it was like, would you please get off now? You know, here's a bottle, go away. I was just such in awe of, of my body and it really did help me to get this newfound respect for it. Yeah. I guess it's it's one of those things that when you have something traumatic and horrible happen to you, you can still stay positive even through something horrific. Yes. And it surprised me how positive I stayed throughout the whole thing. You know, some, some of the midwives were like, oh my God, I'm still so positive. I was like, well, what else can you do? And it was this realization that actually, I have a good life. It's just something really horrible happened to me. But generally, my life was was really good. And it was a really nice place to realize that bad things happen, possibly for no reason, but then you can find good out of it. it very early on, I came up with the answer of why, because the, the why me question came up a lot. And eventually the answer came to me, why not? You know, bad things happen in this world. And I'm not so good that it shouldn't happen to me, and I'm not so bad that it should. It's just unfortunately, on that day, it was me. Yeah. And coming to that, and just sort of going, okay, be chill with it, it. It was. It was actually quite liberating for me just to go, okay, you know, bad things happen. Let's move on.
0: But sometimes when when you move on, um, it's 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 often about. Well, I find, and sometimes, like some of my clients, we, we've, we've taught, we, you know, we talk, we talk about, you know, these sorts of things, you know, when we're talking about overcoming adversity and things. But it's not about moving on and forgetting, forgetting what was. It's moving on and taking a piece of that with you and keeping it, like I say, is you take a piece of that and you hold them in your heart. And I know this is a bit, a bit like wet, but you, but you, but you have that. So you don't need to worry that where, where, where are they or they're not with me? Because almost when that happened, that sort of pain that happened leaves a mark in your heart. And, and so when you're in that sort of, you know, when you're thinking about, the situation or about how you move forward, that they they have helped shape who you are and who you become and those values. And so sometimes when you're making a decision, this is a bit weird me talking like this, but (laughs) it is a bit, it's a bit like you're you're not just making that decision for you,
1: you're making decision with some wisdom. Mm. And you know, she's always been there, you know, since Since I got pregnant with her, she's existed. And I remember when we first found out, we went through and had the scan and had it all confirmed. And I remember the walk from the scan room to the delivery suite. It wasn't very far. And I turned to my husband and said, cut it out of me. I feel bad about that now because I called her an it and I just wanted it gone. But within, I mean, I had five days and I think sometimes... You have to take what you're given, and I needed that time to come to terms with the fact that she'd gone, and all I had left now was the only thing I could give her as my daughter yeah. was to give birth to her.
0: Yeah,
1: all I had left. So I actually took great joy in being able to do that. And in fact, at the beginning, the consultant said, "You're going to hate me for this," she said, "But you're going to have to give birth because mm. you'll you'll recover from that so much better." than from a C-section. If you have to have one, you have to have one. And in fact, it took so long, she booked one to try and threaten this child out of me. And it succeeded. But she said, you'll recover so much more quickly and better. And I then took that as an honor, as her mother. That's all I had left to give her. And so that's what I gave to her. And I think, you know, having had that experience, having had her, it's completely shaped my life. You know, I am the mother of three children and I love them all. And in fact, she is my favorite sometimes on the other two are being a pain in the butt. <laughs> 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 she doesn't have the chance to do that. So yeah, you're right. They all these experiences, they shape you, they make you who you are. And you get to choose sort of how it shapes you almost and how you want to take it forward. But the fact that they're there is, is always there. It's a fact. They, they've happened. They've been there. And in fact, one of the biggest lessons I've learned from it is the ability to look for the silver lining. And I have a little phrase now, which is you can choose the silver lining and it doesn't mean that you chose the cloud because clouds come all the time. Things happen and people feel guilty about choosing the silver lining and celebrating it and going with it, and yet it feels like they've chosen the cloud. And I'm very adamant that no, choosing the silver lining is actually just a way of coping and of moving forward and of being positive and, and proactive in your life. We don't get any say in the clouds. The clouds happen. You know, in in this case, I lost my child last year. Another classic example was COVID hitting. We, none of us chose that. You know, I did not choose a global pandemic, but I did choose to take that opportunity to improve some of the systems in my business. And to, you know, some people managed to choose to take some time off. I'm one of the ones that ended up working harder, but, you know, you can choose that silver lining. And, you know, my husband and I, we would say things like, oh, at least we get to sleep tonight. If we had a baby, we wouldn't be able to sleep. Um, and it's silly because yeah, you know, we'd have both given an arm to to have that baby there. But you've got to be allowed to choose that silver lining. And it's important to do it guilt-free because it's not choosing the cloud.
0: No. I think that's an absolutely beautiful saying and beautiful phrase. I think it's really it is really helpful when you're because I think it is it it's the hard thing, isn't it, about um how you move forward from something and don't feel guilty or angry
1: that they aren't part of that Mm. you know I I know people that have lost you know partners or and things like that and I heard a story I think it was um in one of Denise Tuffler Thomas's books about a woman who had got a massive insurance payout because her husband had died in the 9-11 twin bombing twin tower bombings and she frittered it all away because she felt so guilty at having all this money because he was very, very well insured. And it's like, well, he did that because he wanted to look after you, not because you, you weren't choosing. Oh, great! I've lost my husband now. I've got all this money. It was a case of he's looked after me, but she she couldn't cope with it. It's, it's a, a sort of apparently a well known case of this woman who did that, and I I feel so sorry for her for not being able to say, well, okay, you know, he looked after me. I'm I'm grateful to him for that. Yeah. Um, And it's things like that because none of us would choose those clouds. No. But we have to accept that, you know, this is where we are now. Make the most of it, I guess, is the short of it. But sometimes when you choose the silver lining, then little rainbow miracles happen. Absolutely. You know, and that's where the rainbows are, isn't it? In, In the silver lining. And I guess that's why they call them rainbow babies uh, the children that you have after a loss. And, uh, you know, it it's, it is, it's just, you know, when you, when you look towards the light with the clouds coming behind you now, because you're moving on, you, that's when you get the rainbows, isn't it? Absolutely.
0: So let's find out a bit more about Rachel then. So we always ask on the human reboot, how do you switch off so
1: that you can switch on and perform at your best? Do you know what, I've been thinking about this a lot because every time I've listened to one of your um, podcasts, I've, I've known so far that I'm coming on. So I listen to it and think, Oh, what's my answer? What's my answer? <laughs> 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 because at the moment I really need to switch off. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to confess this on your podcast that I do need this. I need to switch off at the moment because I'm at the point of, if I don't switch off soon, I'm going to switch off properly. Um, but I wanted people to know that not everybody on your podcast has got it all completely sorted. Uh, we're all works in progress as well. Um, but normally I'd go on holiday. Yeah, I'd be exceptionally lucky. My mother-in-law has got a place in Spain and we would visit there usually once a year. And we've not now been for two years, obviously. And oh, just, I need a holiday. I just need... A week where I don't have my computer with me, because I think with this whole home working thing, work and life has just merged into one, and I-, I need to have some kind of break between the two. And I used to do it as a holiday, and it's it's really useful having this podcast because I've been really thinking what can I do to switch off, and I think probably getting some kind of clear definition. You know, my my garden room office—that's where work is. And I'm going to have to just say, right, when I go into the house, that's it. I'm now home. So I think just physically switching off the computer, switching it off. That's what yeah. I need to do.
0: Yeah. It's it, it's having, it's thinking about what is your switch on routine? So what yeah. helps you to switch on and what helps you to switch off? But also a huge amount of the work that I'm doing is around healthy boundaries at the moment with people because, you know, people who are purpose-led, high, you know, high performers high achievers driven, who are the types of people that listen to this podcast, we've all been thrown into a situation where our boundaries and our routines just became completely blurred. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people now, whether that's, you know, returning to the office or or returning or or now, you know, working in a hybrid way or or working Choosing now to work permanently from home, we're still finding that change back to normality. A real challenge of actually where the lines are and how we look after ourselves. And, you know, what I've said to a few people this week is, you know,
1: self care is more than having a bath. Mm. And that's what I thought self care was. And actually, I've learned, and this is, yeah, if we ever talk about my first reboot that I was telling you about earlier. What I learned was when self-care becomes another thing on my to-do list, that's when my warning bells really start to ring. Because people were telling me back then, you know, you need to look after yourself. I was like, right, okay, so I need to do a bit of yoga in the morning. So I was getting up 20 minutes earlier so I could do the yoga. And I need to do this bath so I'd go to bed later because I'd had a bath. And they were just things on my to-do list that if I fitted them in, I didn't enjoy them because I was trying to slot them in around everything else. So I think you're right. It's the boundary. Self-care is actually these boundaries. And with COVID, my boundaries just disappeared because I was literally working every hour, God said. I think I worked every day for about six weeks at the beginning of it. And Easter Sunday was my like my first weekend off. And I think, yeah, we just need to have boundaries. So that's, that's my task for next week is to actually start implementing those boundaries. As I say, listening to your podcast has been fabulous and getting some great ideas from it.
0: Well, you'll have to come on one of my trainings. <laughs> oh,
1: there <thank> you go, <laughs>
0: um, Okay, so um, if you could help our listeners by sharing your flourishing formula for living, whether that be a mantra or mental fitness tips or just something that you live by, I know you've shared
1: your wonderful silver lining look. Choose the silver lining Don't you ha- doesn't mean you've chosen the cloud. I think that's, that is my biggest one. Um, and be gentle with yourself is the biggest one because I've, I've, I discovered recently that working for myself is actually a really bad thing because I'm a terrible taskmaster to myself. I expect things from me that I do not expect from my staff. And so actually I'm going to start treating myself like one of my staff members because I would not expect them to work till 11 o'clock at night to finish something. I wouldn't beat them up because they're tired the next morning if they've done it. Do you know what I mean? So I, I need to be, be kinder to myself. So that's another big one. Be kind to yourself.
0: And it's, it's thinking about, you know, the term. you know, you, you, you're talking to somebody that I don't necessarily find it easy. You know, I love my work. Always loved the work that I've done. You know, when I worked in corporate, I I absolutely loved my job, and I didn't necessarily know when to switch off because for me, there's always like, oh, what's the next thing we're going to do, and what's the next thing we're going to do, and how are we going to progress, and and it's for me, it 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 I just didn't spend any time on me at yeah. all, and I think. You know, for the long term, we do have to invest in ourselves so that, you know, so that we can invest in
1: others. Absolutely. And it's that I, I think because we're always working on so many different things at the same time that there's no way to, there's almost no celebration of finishing something because there's always three other things on the go. So just because you happen to have finished something, you, you almost miss that sense of, Oh, complete because there's four other things literally going on at the same time and I'm trying really hard to do one thing at a time but it's really hard
0: yeah I think it's been a key a real key thing around like productivity and being kind to yourself is about when you set that to-do list is looking at actually what is realistic for me to achieve this week mm. um Rather than getting to the end of the week and thinking, oh, I've only done, you know, I've not done that massive transformation of my business that (laughs) I was going to do, you know, or I've not done that. And it's it's more looking at actually, well, what have I achieved this week? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and how have I planned that? And how can I... You know, what can I do next week? What is realistic for me to achieve? And actually looking at planning things over a month or a quarter rather than, you know, and really looking at what is important. Because if sometimes with some people, if you work, you know, if you're working day and night, you might not be working at the end of that quarter. Mm. So, you know, what time you take off, you know, what you invest in yourself now will mean
1: that you're sustainably
0: able to work in the future. Yeah.
1: And I I know my other sort of key flag, if you like, my warning sign is if I start playing games on my phone, because I find that I'm so tired, my brain just wants to switch off. And so I find myself playing something. And then an hour later, I found I've literally just zoned out.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And, you know, I feel like I'm working an awful lot. But actually, if I were to cut back on those hours, I probably would work more because I'd be focused the whole time rather than being off off in different places.
0: I think it's just thinking about what things you can build into your routine and your day to be able to just make sure that you do have some time for you and some, you know, being able to step away and have that real clarity of thought, you know, even as simple as a 10 minute little walk or, but it's, but like you said earlier with, you know, with, with, your, with the self-care that you did before and it, it got to a point where it was like, You weren't enjoying it. It was another thing to do on your to-do list. It was just adding Um, to the overall stress. So it's important to find what works for you Mm. and, you know, and not necessarily, because just going into the kitchen while you're making a cup of tea or a cup of coffee and doing a few breaths, Mm. you know, and just feeling, you know, or putting a bit of music on and dancing around like a loon, that starts to make you feel relaxed in your body uh, and can re-energise you. So, yeah. So, are there any people, books, anything like that that have
1: inspired you along your journey? Oh, and I said, I'm a huge reader, and there's low. I, I I've probably, if you name a self help book, I've probably read it. My husband says, I need to write a book, a self help book on getting off self help books. <laughs> um, I think that my favorite one has got to be Denise Phil Thomas, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, because it really sort of changed my attitude to to money. And I used to really feel I had to work really hard so that I could deserve the money I earned. And that's just going to lead to burnout generally. So it's kind of accepting that I'm allowed to find some easier ways to do it. Yeah. So that made it made a huge difference uh, to my life and basically anything by Brene Brown. You just, yeah, you know, any book I've read from her, I just come out of it going, oh my God, yes. In fact, there's several people in my life who think Brene is a friend of mine. Because (laughs) Brene Brown said this and Brene Brown suggested that we watch this. (laughs) And it's like, who is this Brene? Is she a friend of yours? (laughs) I wish. (laughs) I know her quite well. (laughs) She doesn't know me at all,
0: but... (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for coming on the human reboot podcast today thank you for having me and for sharing your
1: story so vulnerably and and so bravely thank you it's it's been lovely to be on here and to to talk about her because as I say you know I don't have a lot from her a few photographs and, and some memories so you know if I can talk about her and if the lessons I've learned from having her can can help anyone else then that's just a brucy bonus, really. Oh, thank you, Rachel.
0: If anyone wants to get in touch with you, Rachel, how best is it for them to do that?
1: Um, Probably the easiest thing is to either look on LinkedIn. Um, I'm Rachel Allen, obviously. Um, If you look up Rachel Allen Coaching, that might be easiest. Um, And on LinkedIn, sorry, Facebook and Instagram, I'm Rachel Allen Coaching.
0: Thank you for listening to the Human Reboot Podcast. I'm Emma Last, And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit thehumanrebootmovement.com where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list or connect with me on social. So that's thehumanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your Human Reboot.